Hey coders, welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this show, I speak with inspiring devs to learn how they found success and how you and other self-taught devs can too. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Israel, who you may remember from such Scrimba courses as an introduction to unit testing and front-end interview tips. Dylan is an experienced engineer in his own right, currently working as a front-end engineer at Amazon. Dylan reminds us that he does not speak for Amazon. Today's chat was all about communication skills and just how important they are to you as an aspiring junior developer. Do you have to have great communication skills? No. Do you have to have mediocre communication skills? Yes. Can you have no communication skills? Uh, not if you want to do very well. Oftentimes when you're interviewing, not only are you being interviewed for a technical skill, you're being interviewed for how well you'd be able to work with the team. Do the people want to work with you or are they going to be like <laughs> asking you a question and you're just going to growl at them? In this episode, you're going to learn what to expect from your team when you finally join a company, what you need to know before you apply for a job. Spoiler, we don't think you need to know things like Scrum and Agile before you apply. You can learn those on the job. We also spoke about introversion, shyness, and how to push your comfort zone to find opportunity as a developer. Would you believe me if I said I was an introvert? Introversion, outgoingness, shyness, and certainly communication skills are not the same thing. As a pair of introverts, Dylan and I talk about this in some detail. But first, I asked him to take us to the beginning of a project. Should you expect to start a new project from scratch? Or when you join a company, should you expect to understand and then contribute to an existing code base? Let's find out. Generally speaking, I've never really started a project from scratch it always seems to go this has been my experience in most projects is that you have a rapid development process where you're building like a proof of concept the stakeholders say yeah this is what i'm thinking and it's not and then go you know it goes through the various iterations and then you start getting people to use it and see what happens and then you iterate upon it and it's it's a very agile approach mm -hmm. and that doesn't always mean that it's going to be a success either right so like google has what is that a website like things google has killed.com or there's like sure, all these sure. all these apps that google you know so it's, it's very common with a lot of these tech companies to go and develop these proof of concepts and not everything's going to be a winner. Oftentimes, uh, we have this sort of greenfield development versus brownfield or legacy code. And the reality of most of it is that it's, it's not one or the other, typically. It's very rare that you're going to be the guy that's spinning up like, you know, um, using the CLI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it can happen, but it's very rare, right? And so you're going to be jumping in at a certain part, doing greenfield development and working with the legacy development that was there that's still changing. So often I think when we talk about like brownfield development or, or legacy code, it's like this thought that like you're just maintaining it or it's this thing that's 20 years old. No, the legacy code can be something you wrote three months ago that you have to jump back into that you haven't touched and really just needs to be bug fixed that one time or refactored or, you know, add some testing coverage, whatever it is. I think generally speaking, though, that's what happens, sort of a mixture. So we, we kind of introduced a few terms there. So greenfield and brownfield, basically greenfield meaning a new fresh project without too much concern for what came before it. Brownfield probably meaning a little bit more of a connotation towards legacy code and things that have been there for a little while. Another word you mentioned, Dylan, which I'd love to dig into is agile. Talk about agile a little bit. 
most organizations you're going to work in are going to be consi- going to at least on paper say they are agile <laughs> work environments. In the past, software has taken a waterfall approach, which basically meant that everything was very planned out. You went from this phase to the next phase to the next phase, and it's sort of you know chained down like a waterfall would, with little to no changes. Um, agile development is really about. There's various forms of this. Scrum is probably the most popular one, followed by Kanban, and it's really how you plan and do your work in a very iterative process where we're figuring out what we're doing for the next two weeks and we're going to do that. And then we'll figure out what we're going to do in the next two weeks after that and so on and so forth. And we'll make changes as we go, as priorities change, as things come up and and go from there. And for a business, it works out really well because things change fast. Maybe you want to do a promotion or maybe, you know, there's a feature that someone thought of that's really important. Then you sort of shuffle around the priorities I think agile in general is a term that's thrown out quite a bit, but there are some overarching processes that sort of come from that that I think are very helpful. Have you ever experienced the old way, the waterfall way in your career? Um, I I have at a company that said they were agile. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, um, and so like getting everything planned out and doing X, Y, and Z, and like and oftentimes I think what's happening there is if you've done something in your career for twenty years. It's hard to not fall into those grooves. Mm. It's kind of like I equate a lot of things to dating. Let's hear it. So it's like, like I find that, like if you've ever, you know, you've 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 moved on, a relationship ended for whatever reason, and like some people can be friends with their exes. Yeah. But what ends up happening is a lot of time is you eventually fall into the groove with your ex again. Then you go and dating, you go down and then you spend like another three to six months and then you break up again. And it's because you've have this process, this groove that you've been doing for so long. And it's very similar. If you have a waterfall background, that was the situation I, I experienced is like someone doing something for two decades of their career in the last couple of years. So I don't think there's one inherently better than the other, just for the record. I think Agile is going to be what you get 99 to 100% of the time just because it works for most people. But from a developer perspective, it is quite nice to know what you're going to work on for the next two years in theory. Oh, oh, oh you reckon you would prefer that than to have the, I guess in startups, and, and maybe this is where your, your and my backgrounds differ a little bit. Like a lot of the times the devs are kind of not that far from the product managers and quite invested in like what features to build next. And so they sometimes like responding to customer feedback. And even as they use the product themselves, they're like, oh, we really should fix that. Let's, you know, push this to the next sprint. Yeah. And that's, that is agile at the end of the day, right? Where, hey, we are going to build the best product possible based off of input and we're going to pivot as it makes sense we're going to try things and then we're going to either go go harder in that direction or not i'm saying from my job perspective if i knew what i was going to be working on for the next you know three nine months a year it makes my job much easier because i can do a much higher level of architecture i can do some planning i can you know and not to say that you don't do these things in agile but you have a very high level understanding of what's coming next and you also have an understanding is that uh, at any moment that can change and waterfall is a little more rigid which uh you know, has its benefits as well. I think what you've just taught me is that there is such a thing as doing waterfall the right way. Like a lot of the time when people talk about waterfall, they're talking about stakeholders, setting some kind of vague 
business requirements or spacking out a product, then disappearing for a quarter, coming back, and then the product is nothing like they imagined. They're like, what the hell? It was obvious from the description, but it wasn't. But what you're describing is that waterfall can actually work if you do it the right way. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's possible. I don't think you'll anybody will experience it in their careers anymore because it's just not... No, no, that's a great point. Yeah. It, it was something that existed more before software ate up the entire world. And now I think Agile enables technology-driven companies, which is pretty much every company to iterate a bit more. But I can totally appreciate that if you haven't been on an Agile team before and you read about it or even listen to this podcast, it can seem a bit wishy-washy. Like, you know, we talked about sprints and we work in two-week iterations. I think maybe one real core thing towards Scrum is the cadence, which is you have that two-week iteration called a sprint, and then you often have meetings dotted around that two-week period, right? So you might have a kickoff meeting, like a sprint planning meeting at the beginning, a retro at the end or something like that. And I think stand-ups are often considered parts of Scrum as well. Is that a good way of thinking about Agile and Scrum, do you think, in terms of the meetings? And do those meetings come to life in your jobs? Yeah, yeah. I, pretty much every organization. I uh, And it's sort of the meme about Agile is like that we're doing Scrum or Agile, but really all we, all we do is stand-ups once a day, which the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's taking 15 minutes just to say what you did yesterday, what you're doing today, if you have any blockers, sort of raising them up. Um, but a lot of what I would say in the real world is taken from Agile and Scrum is simply the processes, which are, are fantastic. Um, but there is sort of a meme culture <laughs> in some companies where two weeks is, oh, that's, that's too crazy. And I've worked at companies like this. I always found it like, kind of like 10 working days is way too long for us to wait for the thing we want now. Um, and you sort of, you know, they're super agile. <laughs> so anytime someone says super agile, I just cringe. It's not a thing. <laughs> I, I assure you it's a thing. Uh, um, or, you know, people are pulling things out of the sprint and putting things in, which can happen. Earlier in, on in my career, I was much less flexible. I was like, these are the processes. This is how it's supposed to work. Um, but there's something to be said to being flexible, but there, when things become the norm, it's no longer being flexible. You're just not following the processes anymore. You'll have that at certain organizations. You know, sort of the smaller, mid-sized companies that are... They don't have tech departments so much, or they don't look at themselves as a tech company. These are just tech people they have to have on the payroll, and this is things that tech people do, so we're going to say we're going to do them. It's Agile in name and Scrum in name, uh, or Kanban in name, but, you know, they just wanted to make sure to put that... To, to say that when they're trying to recruit the devs to the, to the organization. Yeah, yeah, that's a good tip for anybody listening then. I don't know if you agree, Dylan, but I would personally say that if a company wasn't at least following Agile to a pretty good standard, it's probably not the best place for a developer to work. Is that... Is that too harsh? It depends where you're at in your career. I think you have to be more flexible early on. But later on, when you're in a mid-level to senior level, it's definitely not something you want to put up with. And the problem with like the super agile is when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. And that's what happens. I've been in the situation where you're like, okay, I'm working on this. 
oh, you want me to do this? Which one do you want me to do first? And then like, you can't get a real answer. Oh, well, do that. But if you have time, do this. But we really need this also. And you're like, no, bro. Which is priority one? Which is priority two? And like, well, one A, one B. It's like, oh my goodness, man. Like, it's like... You, you weren't talking to a product manager when that conversation happened, right? Oh, no. Come on, man. Like, like, like this, these are real conversations that, you know, you have in, in some of these companies that do agile and name. And um, a lot of times what ends up happening is you're working at companies that aren't tech companies, but have to have a tech department and they're not accustomed to um, process. And especially if you have like smaller companies that grow big very quickly and they're so used to having their hands in every decision. But the thing I would tell you to watch out for more than like the super agile stuff is I always ask, how their code is tested. Mm. This is my go-to question because I know immediately if it's going to be a death march. If a company comes back and tells me like, well, we really rely on QA. We don't do any unit testing. We don't do any integration testing. It's not to say like they have to be perfect in testing, just that it's on their radar because what it means when you are, uh, when there's no testing in my eyes is that you are just purely dedicated delivering features, which means there's a lot of technical debt because without testing, you're going to have so much technical debt because you're just going to be breaking things and having to fix them and going back and forth. That is my go-to question to start eliminating people I'd be interested in working with. Pretty much everything we spoke about was to do with like dealing with people, like agile and working in the team. I don't think once you mentioned like actually writing a line of code, like it seemed to be a lot to do with communication and dealing with people who want something in the organization. Can you talk a little bit about communication skills and what role communication skills play when you join your first team? Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes when we're learning, and this isn't always the case, but I think the majority of the time, it's a solo adventure. You're just sort of like, you know, you might do meetups, you might be part of Discord, but it's very much so for most people a, I'm learning to code on my own and using resources. That's not the reality of the world. Programming is a team sport. You have engineers, you have QA, you have business analysts, you have project managers, you have scrum masters, you know, uh, UI UX. There's so many different moving parts and pieces. And then you have your managers and then marketing that you might be working with on occasion. And you're going to need to be able to clearly communicate what it is you need when you're blocked, what it is that your concerns are. If there's something that you have questions about, following up with them and I think communication has been one of the items that has helped me in, in my career succeed. And I, I consider myself, I think I said this last time we were in a video, a anxious extrovert where I, I try to over communicate, even though it makes me uncomfortable because especially working remotely, I understand the importance of it. And I think it's helped me in my interviews. I think it's helped me in my, my job prospects where I will be self-reliant. And in order to do that, you have to communicate. And you need to be able to pair program and you need to be able to communicate what a great engineer you are as well, because you could be the best engineer in the world. But if nobody knows it, it doesn't matter. If you like what you're hearing on the Scrimber podcast today, why don't you subscribe and share a link to this episode with your friends on social media? And while you're there, be sure to follow me at Booker Codes on Twitter, where I share highlights from the podcast as well as other news by Scrimber. Were your communication skills always 
quite sharp or is it something you've had to work on? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably come from um, just doing a lot of YouTube videos and talking and doing the podcast and stuff like that. And a level of confidence in the process of overcoming sort of um, aspects of imposter syndrome that a lot, I think a lot of people deal with, which most of the time I think is overused. And really, we're just talking about anxiety with your job. As you go and you gain more confidence in your role, it's important for you to communicate more clearly. Also, this last year and a half in particular, I've been reading a lot of books on communication and like relationships. And it's amazing how you could like read a book about communication, about your sort of personal relationships and translate aspects of that to your business relationships and networking and utilize those skills elsewhere. Because I think oftentimes developers are a little bit more introverted. They're a little bit more um, sort of, uh, you know, logical than they are. Um, you know, they have higher IQ, lower EQ sort of thing. And um, communication is learned as like, is this thing you either have it or don't. It's not really the reality. It's a learned skill, like a lot of things, like a technical skill. You just have to put the time and effort in, which I'd imagine if most people are suffering with communication, haven't gone outside the box and tried to, you know, be more open and talk to people, ask the questions. And, you know, I, I, I have cues when I go out and do public things that I mentally try and do because it doesn't come natural to me. I, I say, oh, like, I'm supposed to stick my hand out to shake their hand or like introduce myself. Things that are like... Not anymore, Dylan. Stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah. The pre-2020. pre But things where it's like, oh, I should ask a question now. I've been talking a lot. Like it's where I have these mental cues that... Because it doesn't come naturally to me, but I, I try to. I, I do think that people sometimes confuse like shyness with introversion, with communication skills because i'm sure there are extroverts who suck at communication who just like yeah dominate the conversation they're not thoughtfully prepared before they walk into a meeting do you think those terms get conflated yeah i mean you can just be an allowed obnoxious extrovert it doesn't mean anyone wants to talk to you and there's plenty of shy people who you maybe a more extroverted person will reach out and sort of they open up over time i consider myself a somewhat shy person even though i i sort of I'm on the internet and things like that, but that's like a medium I'm okay with. But every time I go and I talk in front of a group of people, I feel nauseous. Every time I have to meet someone new, I'm in like high school all over again and I have to like go introduce myself. And again, back to the dating stuff, the thing that blows my mind is I'm 33 years old. I could never even imagine walking up to a girl that I don't know and just being like, hi, I'm Dylan. Like, I just not, and just trying to like, you know, do a like introduction to somebody that I, you know, it's not a friend of a friend or something like that this whole like cold open like meet a girl in the grocery store sort of thing seems like the most absurd thing i've ever heard like it's like they're just buying eggs i'm just supposed to walk up and be like hey that's good product of eggs right there. like i don't know what i would even say it is going to come naturally easier for some people but uh i think if you do fall into that category and i i think i do for the most part that you just have to uh, put time in and it'll it'll get better you may not ever be where you want to be but uh you'll be glad you are where you are i like the way your brain works man i think you're probably the only person on the podcast i could have interviewed who goes from agile and stand-up to talking about approaching a girl at a grocery store that's how it goes man <laughs> but for what it's worth like i totally agree that communication skills are like 
a learned skill. I, I do think that some people, they, they have a stronger intuition for it and it comes a bit more naturally. But at the end of the day, a workplace is a very specific type of interaction. For example, like when you get your first requirement from a product manager, maybe a marketing person comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, can you, um, you know, change that button on the website from blue to red? And you'll probably be like, oh yeah, sure, happy to help. I'm new here. But then you realize that that actually distracts you from the other stuff you're doing. And then you have to kind of figure out, you know, you identify that's a place to maybe put a boundary. And then you have to figure out how to express that boundary in a way that isn't going to upset people. Yeah, again, some people, it might come very, very intuitively, but I just struggle to see how you can know that without not even experiencing it once. And then you learn and improve and keep applying that recipe over and over and over again throughout your career. And then you become a very effective communicator, I think. Yeah. And to to our earlier point about Agile, that's part of what the benefits of processes are. Hey, can you change that icon to, from blue to red? Yeah, go create a ticket and we'll pull it in the next sprint. Not to say that you couldn't do it, but I have been in numerous situations where the, the president or the vice president has showed up on my desk and... Hey, uh, I'm skipping five levels. I'm coming straight to you because I know you're the front end guy. Don't don't really know what your name is. I just know you do the front end and I need you to do X, Y, and Z. How do you say no to that? How you say no to it is you say, okay, well, give me just a moment. Let me figure out what that's going to look like and get back to you. And what you do is then you go to your manager and say, hey, your boss's boss came up to me, wants me to do X, Y, and Z. This is a rough estimate. Uh, very rough. I did this in about 20 minutes of what it would be. Can you prioritize this and talk to them? And, the, and then it's up to your upper management to make sure that sort of the chain of command, if you will, flows through. And it's not to say you don't want to help them. It's just by helping them, you are taking away from somebody else. And that's a decision they have to make, uh, not necessarily you. If you don't have this conversation and you just say yes to everything, a couple things end up happening. One, you're no longer respected. Because you can't say no, which means you always say yes, which means you get stepped on. And then your deliverables start slipping. And when you can no longer be counted on, you're no longer respected. And that means you're going to suffer when it comes to your reviews, your compensation. You're going to be constantly burnt out. I work 40 to 45 hours a week max, unless there's something that absolutely uh, I broke production or like <laughs> I have to go and do something. And you're not going to be able to have a healthy work-life balance and mental health when you're working 50 hours as, as a starting base point and going up to 60 or 70. Those are some fantastic points. And it makes me wonder, have you read a book about these things? Like, is there anything you can point people to to learn a bit more? Uh, yeah. So um, some of this is just learned experience through the hard way. Uh, so um, Maybe you should write a book, Dylan. I, I'm working on it, believe it or not. One day I'll actually finish it. We'll have you back on the podcast then to talk all about it. That sounds exciting. It's, it's got a great name. I just have to actually finish it's called the self-taught developers playbook that's that's it sounds familiar we probably talked about this years ago because i'm writing a chapter a year at this rate but uh but yes yeah, so one book i would recommend is um the clean coder i think clean coder does an excellent job of teaching you how to be a professional in software engineering it's one of the very few books that i found on sort of you know it does talk about technical skills but also talks about the business environment not to be confused with clean code by the same author uncle bob robert martin um, but that would be something I would recommend. And also, I think people need to get comfortable in general with saying no. If you are afraid to say no to your employer in a job where you have some of the highest demand in the world for a role, it's not as if you're going to be homeless the next day. There are options out there for better work environments. 
And if you're uncomfortable saying no, you are not in a good business relationship. You're not in a good field. You're not in a good company. Like you need to go spread your wings and be comfortable saying no. Because again, you will not be respected. And by saying yes, you're actually going to be doing harm to yourself. And there are companies out there that will take every ounce of juice you have and then throw you to the side to the next one once you're burnt out. And that happens to people. And it's sad. And if there's one thing I I can say uh, working at Amazon is I've been so happy with the sort of boundaries and the sort of respect and the understanding and and valuing sort of the personal life. Uh, It's been my experience that uh, the organization has put on it while still being very sort of customer obsessed and having very high goals for the team. Wow, I've been confusing clean code by Uncle Bob and the clean coder for, I'm assuming, 10 years. I don't know. Is this an older book like a lot of these um, Uncle Bob books? But yeah, wow, I didn't know they were this. Yeah, 2011, this one came out. So a lot of solid advice that reigns true with the test of time. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. I'd recommend both those books. So those are the two books I think everyone should read in their career, regardless if you are a senior engineer or an aspiring engineer, I think having them on hand and reading them. And uh, even did a a course on uh, Clean Code for Scrimba a little while back. Um, But I I would also recommend Clean Architecture for when you are a senior engineer. Another book by sort of Uncle Bob that talks about um, more sort of of high-level system design. Um, But I'd I'd recommend until you're sort of at a mid to senior level for that book. We're about half an hour in, and I love how we've just covered a bunch of different topics. But do you really need to understand things like Agile? And do you need to be so confident in your communication skills before you get started as a junior dev? I think you will understand things like Agile, just sort of being there and being a part of it, right? It's um, Yeah, yeah, you learn on the job, that kind of thing, I would say. You can go and get certifications in Agile and Scrum. Don't do that. Yeah, you can do that. That's something that exists, and like some companies will value it. The reality of it is that you don't need to. But as far as your communication, do you have to have great communication skills? No. Do you have to have mediocre communication skills? Yes. Can you have no communication skills? Uh, not if you want to do very well. Oftentimes when you're interviewing, not only are you being interviewed for a technical skill, you're being interviewed for how well you'd be able to work with the team. Do the people want to work with you or are they going to be like asking you a question and you're just going to growl at them because <laughs> you have no communication skills at all. These soft skills that we talk about, you know, yeah, you have to go through the technical interview process and this and that, but you you need to be able to communicate, work with your team and communication is crucial. So do you need to be the world's best, you know, be able to go and speak at conferences or, you know, a Toastmasters sort of thing? No. Um, would it help? Sure. But you're still gonna have to have the technical skills. Can I just say as well, but like, I don't, I don't mean to discredit it at all. You might have a, a totally different view, but I did a lot of YouTube videos before I got my first job. And when I got my first job, I did some talks on behalf of the, the company. I worked as a developer advocate believe it or not. And that's like a very unidirectional style of communication. Like I'm really good at talking into a camera or to a stage, but I was not as good as talking to a group of people or talking face to face with somebody where it's more bi-directional. I don't know. I think it's useful to distinguish that. Absolutely. And that's sort of like one of the things people find it very strange of like, I identify as sort of at times an introvert and at times an anxious extrovert. But just because I'm talking into a camera, like there's just me and my dogs here most of the time when I'm doing whatever it is I'm doing. There's nobody here. Um, And that's a whole different medium. That's a medium that I control, that I put out, that I'm comfortable with, that's filtered. Being there in person and sort of having that 
emotional energy that comes along with human interaction is something that is uh, draining for some people. It can be draining for me. One thing that uh, my girlfriend works as a server while she's going to school and she is talking to people all day long and like being very, you know, up spirited and like using this emotional energy that takes a toll on you in a different way. And that is something I probably couldn't do on a regular basis where I'm just there I have to put a smile on. Why well, I don't want to smile? I, you know, I'm on a webcam maybe 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day tops, and then I can just sort of go to my natural resting face, whatever it is, and I don't have to communicate when I don't want to. And and the, sometimes, especially for developer advocates, you kind of are in a similar position at times. The first role I did was going to events where like, honestly, I got the job and I was like, oh, they want me to make content. They want me to make videos. I'm sure about that. Um, by the way, we're going to send you to events. And I was like, fuck, if I get fired, it's going to be because of these events. <laughs> like, I just don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got over it pretty quick, actually, because, well, yeah, generally anxiety is worrying about things that will never happen. And that's true for social anxiety, too. And sometimes when you just throw yourself into the mix, you'll be surprised at how smooth things go. Yeah. And, and one sort of coping mechanism I have for my own anxiety is, um, and I use this in the workplace, I use this in my relationships. And I forget where I read this, but it was to simply ask yourself a question, say it out loud so that you really hear it and say, who told you that? Because oftentimes you're worrying about something that doesn't exist. You're worried that your boss is upset with you. Did your boss tell you he was upset with you? No. Is your significant other upset with you? Did they tell you they're upset with you? You know, who told you that? And you just keep asking yourself this because a lot of anxiety, if not the majority of it, is self-induced. It's And I, I think there's a difference between stress and anxiety. Anxiety will lead to stress. Stress is there are real-world things happening. You're going through something. Anxiety is I'm worried about something that potentially doesn't even exist. So ask yourself, who told you that? And see if it... And it's usually revolving around a person. That's been my experience. And you're so worried about what this person thinks or how they're going to act. And But that, that's been very helpful for me to sort of pause for a moment and really think like, is this all me? Like, am I sort of causing my own pain about something that's not even a, a possibility or a reality? Yeah, I, I'm going to butcher the quote, to be honest, but I'll try. It's something like worrying today won't make it better tomorrow. It just takes away the happiness of today. Like it just, it's kind of pointless worrying about things like that. Um, but yeah, it's a very complex topic, really, because what we're talking about here is like a kind of um, social anxiety where maybe you first join the team or go for your first on-site interview. By the way, like if you're, I'll bring it back to dating. I feel like if you go on a first date and things are going well, you get a vibe. Like they should bring out the best in you, to be honest. And if it's too much effort, it's probably not going to go too far. And, and I can imagine that's true for like your first sort of job interview as well. Like if you have a good vibe with the person, they can treat you the way that brings out the best in you and um, make you feel comfortable too, right? By yeah, it can be little things like in when we go back to offices and stuff, maybe, you know, getting you a drink and stuff like that, introducing you to people gently, not throwing you in the deep end without any help. So I, I think you can get a vibe and it's just about, yeah, even even the most extroverted, charismatic people aren't going to get on with everybody. Like you can always find a match for you. And so when you interview at a company, I think when you're first interviewing, it's kind of scary to think that you are also evaluating this company. They're not just evaluating you. Like you mentioned about, 
asking about how they test their code and so on. This is a question you can ask, but you can also get a sense of, you know, your teammates and if you're going to have fun working with them. Because, yeah, just one last thing, which is that when, when you do feel a bit anxious or like it's really hard to, to enter that interaction, you have to keep your eye on the upside as well, because actually forming those connections, the upside is huge. You'll learn so much and have so much fun. Yeah, and I, I don't think people value themselves enough and really understand that like companies want to hire you. Like they're excited. Like they, they're sick of interviewing people. They've gone through X, Y, and Z. Like they want, like they're, they're looking to hire someone because they have a role to fill. They're not just doing interviews for the hell of it. And so when you get hired, they want you to succeed. Your success is your manager's success. They want you to succeed and they want to support you. And, um, you know, they don't want to have to go through that hiring process again because it's hard to find you. Um, and to sort of respect that aspect but um, so often, especially early on in your career, it's like sometimes I feel like people are like, I'm lucky to have a job. And it's not like you're providing a service and one that you're hopefully being well compensated for. And when it comes to the, your your value, at some point in your career, you'll, you'll start to value other things more importantly. And the people you work with, you might be willing to take a 10% pay cut and have that flexibility to be in a work environment that is more relaxed or is going to let you work remote or going to have some PTO or have these things. The same thing with sort of the anxiety and communication, you might have to go to a couple different places before you find something that works for you. And early on in your career, you don't have as many options. I get it. You, we all have to have a, a death march or two early on, uh, but eventually hopefully get out of that and move on to something that's a little bit more healthy and a little bit more what you're looking for while still being challenged. 100%. I guess one thing I was also thinking is that like written communication is another style of communication. And I've not worked as a developer recently, but when I worked closer to developers, um, many, many of the best communicators were great written communicators. I mean, especially working remote on Slack and things. But what I'm really thinking about is actually dissecting a problem, presenting an outline for a solution, you know, outlining the benefits and limitations and stuff in a notion or a paper or a confluence document or something. We spoke a little bit about the annoying person who skips five levels to come and sit at your desk and try and nudge for their own agenda. But what about working with your immediate team? Like I'm talking about your maybe direct senior engineer, product manager, line manager, coworkers, and I'm not sure what the right word is, but like your fellow developers on the same level. Can you, can you maybe talk a bit about the structure and how you interact with each of those teammates typically? At some point in your career, when you're dealing with your superiors, your manager, uh, especially at senior level, you're expected to be very self-reliant. If I'm reaching out to my manager, it's because I need my manager. Like it's not because it's like something I can't do. If you're doing your job right, your manager and you are going to have little to no interaction. You'll have your one on ones and like things are going to, hey, this is what's going on. But um, if your manager is having to check on you on a daily, even a, almost a weekly basis, chances are you aren't doing the best thing or you're very hands on with a certain aspect of your project. And that's different. It's like if you're doing good, it's kind of like DevOps. Uh -huh. If DevOps is doing good, you don't even know they exist. If DevOps is doing bad, it's like, man, I wish DevOps would get it together. But as far as your colleagues, following up with them, asking to pair programs, solutions, and really just overly communicating, I think so often we're afraid to ask questions, especially when you start a new role. People will let you know very aggressively and very passive aggressively if 
you're taking up too much of their time because they have other items. And, but we're a team. We're supposed to work together. I've had I've had managers in the past been like, hey, you know, so-and-so, I get that he's very talented, very knowledgeable. And that's sort of the gift of knowledge, right? Like you keep going to the knowledge well, but the knowledge well has their own, own work they have to get done. Maybe lean on X, Y, and Z a little bit. And these are things that, that can happen. But, um, you know, pair programming is something I think is very helpful. And you know, partnering up, uh, asking questions. I probably code about six hours a day, you know, maybe maybe five. It really depends on the amount of meetings. And of that, at least one hour a day is me on calls with people saying, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, uh, I'm working in this part of the code. I'm not super familiar. But when I, when I work with like, teammates, it's hopping on calls. I always have my video on. I, I'm one of the, f- the people, when I go into like my stand-up, I'm one of 30 people that have video on. The other people, for the most part, they're like, nah, dude, I'm, I'm good. Uh, but I always have my video on because I want to have that personal connection. I want you to know I'm not just a voice over the internet. I have found that very helpful uh, working remote for the last two plus years. And um, you know, it helps me get noticed. I, I feel like I'm not going to slip through the cracks as much. People are going to be more knowledgeable about me, more interested about me, and um, I'm going to feel more like a teammate as well. Yeah, you're smashing it in that regard, I think, because you have a very good balance, like a work-life balance, but you also care. I've had more experience with startups, I think, where people care a little bit too much sometimes, like it's ride or die and you, your best friends are at the company. It's very hard to like have a great work-life balance. And then there's people at more corporate companies who like just, you know, do the bare minimum not to get fired basically and go under the radar. But I think you've hit the sweet spot of that, Dylan. It's really, really cool to hear. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much, Dylan, for joining me. Yeah, of course. I appreciate it. Man, that was so much fun. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good. I'm going to hit stop there. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the Scrimber podcast because next week you'll hear me speak with Etisham, who is a Scrimber user with quite a unique success story to share. In short, Etisham found jobs on Upwork and started working on them without permission. As a new developer, once he was confident he could build the solution to a high standard, he would then apply, show the client the progress he'd made, of course they hired him, and essentially Etisham would work in exchange for a positive review on Upwork, and actually he got some reviews on LinkedIn from his clients as well. Two clients left a recommendation on my LinkedIn. He's a great developer and they left a great review. And so I thought that if they leave me the recommendation, it can help me get a good job in the future, which pays more money than they paid me. So yeah, Etisham kept his eye on the prize. He was working at kind of a reduced rate, but he knew that those reviews would help him land a great job that paid well, and it did. You'll hear that full story next week. So again, here's your gentle reminder to subscribe. If you liked this episode, please share it on Twitter. It's the best thing you can do to support the podcast and it helps a lot. My guest today was Dylan Israel. You can find links to all of Dylan's Scrimber courses as well as his mentorship services in the show notes. Thanks to Janos Senevic for editing the episode. I'm your host, Alex Booker, and you can follow me on Twitter at Booker Codes. See you next week.